great. Thank you so much uh, for reading for us, Christine. Here we go. Let's pray again as we come to look at God's word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the words of Christ. And we pray that we would pick up what we just heard at the end there. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit is saying. We pray that your Spirit would speak to us. Open our ears, open our hearts, that we might hear and understand and believe. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I think um, maybe one of the kind of worst feelings that you can experience is that feeling of being shut out, uh, that feeling of being excluded for someone to say, actually, you're, you're not invited. You don't belong here. You can't come in. I have that feeling most Monday mornings in the church office. I'll come in and I'll ask Charlie and Amy, what did you get up to on the weekend? And they'll tell me about someone's birthday celebration they went to, or some stag to that they went to, or someone having a beach trip or a barbecue. Turns out I wasn't invited to any of these things. The truth is, I would never have gone. But I prefer to be invited and then decline rather than not be invited at all. But obviously, like, be- being shut out can be so much more serious than that, can't it? For the Christians living in first century Philadelphia, it was way more serious for them. They were shut out. Now, for the Christians here in Philadelphia, it was the Jewish community who closed the door on them. Got to think, those, those early Christians would have had great affection, great affiliation with the Jews. Many of them would have been converted from a Jewish background, a Jewish community. They would have gathered Sunday by Saturday, well, Saturday by Saturday in the synagogue week by week with friends and with family. But here in Philadelphia, they were shut out. Access to the synagogue, perhaps even to their families and friends, has been denied. The door is closed to them. And as long as they held on to Christ, well, then the Roman world would have shut them out as well. And so they find themselves shut out from Jerusalem and from Rome, shut out by the world. Now, as Christians in the UK, that that is not our experience. We're not shut out. I mean, here we are meeting freely and easily in in the school. But it does seem that maybe the door is beginning to close a little bit, doesn't it? In the past, being a Christian was seen as a positive, a a social good. At best, it's neutral. Perhaps increasingly now, it's seen as a negative thing. Maybe the door is beginning to close in the UK. And for those believers who feel shut out, look how Jesus introduces himself in verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Jesus holds the keys of David. It's a reference to the Old Testament. Back in Isaiah 22, we're introduced to the keys of David, to the keys of King David. And the keys of David were the keys to the kingdom, access into the people of God. What does Jesus want this church to know? The world may have shut the door on your face, but I never will. I have the keys 
and I open the door and no one can shut it. So let's see what that looks like. First, when the world shuts you out, stay faithful. When the world shuts you out, stay faithful. So verse 8, I I know your deeds, Jesus writes. And he goes on, I know that you have little strength. One of the defining things about this church in Philadelphia, it has little strength. It is weak. That there is nothing outwardly impressive about this church. They've been shut out. They've been pushed to the edge. They have little strength. Utterly insignificant. Do you know, we read something similar back in chapter 2 when we looked at the church in Smyrna. Jesus said about them that they are poor. It's interesting. Of the seven churches that Jesus writes to, Philadelphia and Smyrna are the two least impressive. Outwardly, they are the weakest looking churches. They have no reputation, they have no money, no influence, no one is talking about them. And yet these are the only two churches that Jesus does not criticize. Instead, he gushes with praise for them. It's funny how Jesus sees things differently, isn't it? You know, if we were doing a kind of a grand tour of the seven churches back in the first century, We'd be drawn to the impressive-looking Sardis or the theologically strong Ephesus or the busy Thyatira doing all their kind of social projects in the community. And I imagine that Smyrna and Philadelphia would just be forgotten as soon as we left. But not Jesus. That's an important truth for us to grasp here, isn't there? On that day when we stand before the Lord... I think we might be surprised that some of the biggest smiles from Christ, some of the biggest praise and honor, will be for those churches that are barely even noticed by the world at the moment. I was part of a church for a number of years before we moved south. And in many ways, outwardly, wasn't very impressive at all. They have a very simple and straightforward approach to what church is. They'd gather, they'd preach, They'd disciple, they'd pray, they'd do some youth work. They were wealthy, but they wouldn't use that wealth to build bigger premises or to employ more and more staff. Instead, they have been wonderfully generous over the years. They've quietly given away tens if not hundreds of thousands of pounds year after year to support fledgling ministries elsewhere, or they've taken graduates from a Bible college. They've given them three years and they've trained them up. They've let those trainee pastors, people like me, make their mistakes, say stupid stuff, find their feet. And then instead of keeping hold of them, they've let them go and be pastors and be blessings to other churches. It's beautiful, it's unassuming, it's a quiet ministry. Jesus isn't saying big and busy is bad. And he's not saying that small and inactive is good. But I am saying that we are so prone to value the outwardly impressive rather than what Jesus values, which is the quietly faithful. Look what he loves about Philadelphia in verse 8. I know that you have little strength. Yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. And then later in verse 10. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently. What is so commendable about this weak church, this shut out church? What does Jesus value so much? They have kept his word. 
they've taught and they have lived the scriptures. And they haven't denied Jesus' name, no matter how much pressure they came under, whatever it cost them, they have never denied Jesus. And they have obeyed, they've kept his commands and they have endured. Not glamorous, is it? We look impressive on a website. We teach the Bible, we trust in Jesus, we obey Jesus and we keep doing that. But we keep seeing the same thing in these letters. What does Jesus want from his churches above all? It is faithfulness and obedience and patience and endurance. It's not glamorous or impressive, but it pleases Jesus. And again, let me be clear, big and active is not bad. If big and active means more people coming to know the Lord Jesus, if big and active means more people loved and served and helped in our community, then praise the Lord. But what does he call us to first? What is to this? Faithfulness. There's a pastor who said at the start of his ministry, it's my intention to focus on depth and leave the breadth to God. I like that. Let's focus on depth and leave the breadth to God. Depth in preaching and teaching the scriptures of Christ. Depth in friendship and community and love for one another. Depth in prayer. Depth in obedience and holiness. Depth in joy at our salvation. And then we leave the breadth to God. If he wants to bring fruitfulness and growth, that is up to him. Of course, we can plan and think and dream about how to help more people encounter the life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ. Of course we do, but first we go deep. We gather Sunday by Sunday. We disciple our children. We obey the scriptures. Husbands and wives, they pray together and they keep their marriage vows. We love our neighbors and those we work with. We help one another endure whatever hardship we each face. And we stand with one another so that none of us will deny Christ. We focus on the depth and we leave the breadth to God. Jesus says, you have kept my word and not denied my name. You have kept my command. When the world shuts you out, stay faithful, says Jesus. But secondly, when the world shuts you out, look forward. When Jesus writes to the other churches in Revelation, there's this kind of mix of encouragement and and criticism and and promise. But when he writes to Philadelphia, it's almost all promise. Notice how many times Jesus says, I will. I will do something for you. You you get it twice in verse 9. I will, verse 10. I will, verse 12. And he says it twice more in verse 12. Six times Jesus promises something. I will. This church that feels its weakness, this church has been shut out, Jesus says, look ahead. Look at all the things that are coming your way and do not lose heart. Let's think about some of those things. We've got four of them. We might skip over one if, if the time is, is escaping us. But first of all, what does Jesus say look forward to? Well, he says look forward to Jesus' open door. Look forward to Jesus' open door. Verse 8. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. So Jesus, the one who has the keys to the kingdom, who opens doors that no one can shut, says to the Christians in Philadelphia, I've opened a door for you. 
Now, some people think Jesus is talking about opening a door for the gospel, for proclaiming the gospel. And in the New Testament, Paul does talk like that. In 1 Corinthians, he gives thanks because the Lord has opened a door for him to proclaim Christ in Corinth. So Jesus could be saying, the world might have shut you out, but I haven't yet shut the world out of my kingdom. The door is open for everyone. Keep preaching the gospel. But I think he's probably got something else in mind. You see, when Jesus talks about the door in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, usually he's talking about a door into his kingdom, a door to salvation. So if you know his parables, often the tragedy is always a person who's locked out or who's knocking on the door but can't get in. For Jesus, the door is the doorway into eternal life. So I think here's the promise to the Christians in Philadelphia. The world has shut you out, but I never will. The door to my kingdom is open to you and no one will close it. Your salvation is secure. It is certain the door is open. And here's the interesting thing, because that fills you with courage, doesn't it? If the door to Jesus' everlasting kingdom is open and no one can close it, well, then what have I got to lose now? Why not be a bit more open about my faith? Why not invite someone to church? Why not ask if they want to read Mark's gospel? They may shut you down. They may shut you out. But they cannot close the door to Jesus' everlasting kingdom. No one can. So what have we got to lose? And wonderfully, they might say yes. And they might walk through that door with you into everlasting life. You see, when the world shuts you out, look forward to Jesus' open door. Your future is certain. So have courage now to keep speaking and living for Christ. Secondly, when the world shuts you out, look forward to Jesus' vindication. Have a look at verse 9. Jesus says, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. To this group that that are shutting out the Christians in Philadelphia, Jesus is talking about this group. He describes them as the synagogue of Satan. He says that they are liars. Well, he's talking about those who are Jewish living in Philadelphia. Those who claim to belong to God because they are the people of God from the Old Testament, the Jews. But Jesus says because they persecute Christians, they are actually doing the work of Satan. Strong words. We thought about this a couple of weeks back. Strong words. But here's the thing. By shutting these Christians out of the synagogues, they were saying to these Christians, you do not belong to God. The promises of God, all the way through the Old Testament, they're not for you. You're on the wrong side of the line. But look what Jesus promises to this weak and shut out church. I will make them, those who shut you out, come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I love you. It's vindication, isn't it? It's beautiful vindication. 
All their life, these Christians were told, God doesn't love you. You're not welcome in God's house. And then one day before everyone, Jesus will say to the Christians in Philadelphia, you are mine. You have my love. You are truly part of my kingdom. I think I mentioned this before. I've been slowly watching my way through all of uh, the the kind of modern Spider-Mans. And there was a scene in one of the films. can't remember which film. In fact, as I'm speaking, I think I probably imagined this. But let's pretend it's true. I think there was a scene in one of the films where this kind of slightly geeky, nerdy high school boy, and I think maybe a friend of Peter Parker's, but he falls for the most popular girl in the school. And in a moment of madness, he decides he's going to go up to her and ask her to the prom. And he goes up in this crowded canteen and everyone's watching on and says to her, we, we go to the prom with me. Probably squeaks it out. You know, I don't think it came out quite as clearly as that. But will, will you go to the prom with me? And everyone's thinking, what a loser. No chance. I think in the film, that's basically what she says to him, actually. But imagine she says in front of everyone, yeah, I want you. An incredible feeling that would be. That is what Jesus will do, only so much, infinitely better. But for all their enemies, all those who shut them out, all those who said God could never possibly want anything to do with you. You Christians, you who are on the wrong side of history. You Christians who hate, we are the lovers, you're the haters. You Christians, you're not welcome here. Jesus will say in front of all the world, so that all the world will have to acknowledge I love them. They are mine. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Can you imagine how precious this promise is for our brothers and sisters across the world who are pushed to the edge, to the margins, because they refuse to deny Christ? Or those who have lost houses and jobs and livelihoods and freedom. One day their enemies will know. One day their persecutors will see the Lord of all the universe. The one enthroned above the heavens. Loves them. One day they'll be vindicated. And here's the thing. Looking forward to that vindication. That shouldn't make us proud in any way. It shouldn't mean that we treat those who oppose us with contempt and sneer. One day you will bow before me. It means the opposite, doesn't it? Looking forward to vindication means we are humble now because we know we'll be lifted up then. Think about it. I can lose now because I will win then. I can be hated now because I will be loved then. I can be shut down now because Jesus will open his door then. I can speak for Jesus and argue for Christ and lose out now. I can hold out Jesus and offer him to the world and be excluded and then get up and do it all again and keep losing and keep being excluded and keep being shut down because I know that one day in Christ I will win. One day there will be vindication. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. When the world shuts you out, look forward to vindication and stay humble. Third, when the world shuts you out, look forward to Jesus' protection. We're just going to quickly see this one and move on to the final point. Look at what Jesus says in verse 10. See the promise here. Since you've kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the world and the inhabitants of the earth. 
an hour of trial is coming. We don't know quite what Jesus is referring to. It could be a, a moment in history. It could be talking about the end times when Jesus returns. But the promise is there, isn't it? I will keep you. Protection. It's not, it's not a promise to remove them from the trial. That's not what Jesus is saying. It's a promise to keep hold of them in the midst of it. Whatever you go through, whatever it is that's coming, I will hold on to you. Look forward to my protection. But finally, Jesus says to those who are shut out, look forward to Jesus' welcome. Now of all the promises and of all the words of Jesus in the letters to the seven churches, these final few words here in the the letter to Philadelphia, they're some of my favorites. To this weak church, shut out by the world, seen as pathetic by those around them, I imagine the Lord Jesus setting his gaze upon this church, his face warm, his, his eyes welcoming, his, his face smiling as he speaks, saying, verse 11, I am coming soon. Not a threat, it's an encouragement. I'm coming soon for you. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. And the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on them my new name. This church that was shut out by the world, they will not be shut out by Jesus. They'll be welcomed in to his very presence, the the kind of courts of God. In Psalm 84, the psalmist sings, better is one day in God's courts than a thousand elsewhere. A thousand days at the beach, surrounded by the luxury of an all-inclusive five-star hotel, swimming in crystal clear waters. A thousand days traveling the world, seeing all there is to see. A thousand days with the people you love. Pile all those days up on top of one another. Turn them into a lifetime. And still one day in Jesus' presence would be better. But it won't only be a day. Verse 12, the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. We are welcomed into the presence of Jesus and the Father and we will never leave. And there are no cheap seats in Jesus' presence. Years ago when we lived in London, occasionally went to see a show, but neither Laura or I had no money. So we'd get the cheapest tickets going if we ever wanted to go and see something. And uh, by the time you've walked up to the top, like literally a thousand flights of stairs, and you've found your way right into the corner at the back, and you've got a pillar in front of you, so you're kind of craning around the corner, you're aware that something down there is happening. Not quite sure what, you can hear. Wonderfully, in Jesus' presence, there are no cheap seats. Look what he says, the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Jesus will welcome us not to the periphery of the feast and the joy and his presence, but right in the heart of it, a pillar in the temple of my God. And although we will be one of millions, millions of others who've experienced the saving love of Jesus, we will, be not, we will not be lost in a mass of faces. Jesus will know each of us, verse 12. 
I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. To to, to the church that's been shut out by the world, a church that has no worth or value in the eyes of the world, Jesus says, you are mine. Each believer, you are mine. Precious to me, belonging to me. I'll put my name on you the name of my Father on you. I will put the name of this city on you to show that you belong here to me. Towards the end of Pilgrim's Progress, Christian, who's been on this credible journey, trying to reach reach the the, the final goal, the, the, the presence of God. And he finally reaches the city of God and he asks, what must we do in the holy place? Listen to the reply, it will be on the screen, and listen to how it beautifully portrays the welcome of Jesus. You must there receive. Just got to stop. Notice, it's brilliant, isn't it? It's not you must there give, or, or you must there work, or you must beg, you must fall face down and pay homage. It's not that. You must receive, be given something. You must receive the comfort of all your toil. And you must have joy for all your sorrow. And you must reap what you have sown. Even the fruit of all your prayers and tears and sufferings for the king, by the way. In that place, you must wear crowns of gold. And enjoy the perpetual sight and visions of the Holy One. For there you shall see him as he is. You must receive. And a little later when he shall come with sound of trumpet in the clouds, as upon the wings of the wind, you shall come with him. And when he shall sit upon the throne of judgment, you shall sit by him. You shall come with him. You shall sit by him. Jesus will welcome us into the heart of his presence. And there he will give us everything good. Maybe at some point we will be like this church in Philadelphia with little power and influence, shut out, pushed to the edge. Maybe increasingly that will be our experience, shut out by our families because we refuse to deny the name of Jesus, shut out by former friends, shut out from social media. That could actually be a blessing, but you know what I mean. Shut out from our workplaces, shut out from society, living right on the edge. If that ever became our experience, then remember all that we have to look forward to. An open door, vindication, protection, and the most beautiful welcome you could ever imagine. Jesus will never shut you out. He is the one who holds the keys. And the door is open. When the world shuts you out, stay faithful. And when the world shuts you out, look ahead. Moment of quiet, and I'm going to pray. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the keys of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Happy Father, with such joy that we know because 
we have put our faith in Christ because your spirit has moved in our hearts that we might trust the Lord Jesus. This door is open to us and will remain open. And we thank you that the Lord Jesus is the one who will welcome us when we walk through right into the heart of his presence, to the heart of joy and laughter, peace and comfort. Father, as we make our journey there, help us to stay faithful. Help us to go deep, deep in obedience, deep in trusting you, deep in the scriptures, deep in prayer, deep in standing together. And help us to look ahead to all that is to come. In Jesus' name, amen.